0: Good. Man, you got some, there's some talented folks in here. There's like four-part harmony going on. We can hear it. It's good. Thank you. Thank you guys. That was that was good. Um, do me a favor. If you have your smartphones, pull those out really quick. And I know you do. So we, we know you do. There may be three of you that don't, and that's okay. But if you have them, pull them out. Go to your app store, whichever it is, Android if you're cool, um, the iTunes, whatever. That store if you're you know unlike me. And uh, so go to that. And type in church center really quickly. Church center. Two words, 30 points if you're playing Scrabble. <laughs> anyway, um, there's an app right there. I'm not gonna make you download it, but I want you to be aware of it. If you download that and then enter, like you do a search based on the zip code, 29601, origins will pop up. And then if you add that, believe it or not, from that one place, this is madness. You can see events and register for them. It's crazy. I know old people call that RSVPing. We call it thank you. Please do that. Um, That's really good. You can do that. Uh, You can see where community groups are, when they meet, who leads them. You can contact community group leaders. That's it through an email. It's this electric letter thing that you send, email, and the things that you can write and respond to, which is crazy. I know. I know that's revolutionary. It is. Um, back in 99, it was, it was amazing. It still is because uh, you can do it quickly. Uh, you can also tithe and give from right there. You can do everything Right there. You can even go to our website and find anything you might want to give. Uh, like the two events that we have coming up next Friday, uh, the Women's Night, which is for moms and daughters and just ladies, period. Um, you can sign up there. No cost on that one. If you want to go and um, be like blown away by Monster Jam on Friday night with a bunch of guys and also their sons and just other dudes, you can sign up there. 20 bucks, you can pay from there. It's crazy. Technology. It's amazing. So anyway, you can do all of that. So, so check that out um, and maybe do that. And, uh, yeah, and it keeps getting better, so they'll keep adding, adding stuff to that. So anyway, that's my only plug that I'm, I'm going to do this morning. Uh, we are, man, we're excited to be like in the third week of this, this series called Who We Are. Um, this is important for a couple reasons. Number one, a lot of you have been hanging out with us for a while and you haven't been through uh, Origins 101, which is kind of our membership process, but also just kind of getting to know us. But a lot of folks, you've been here with us for a long time, and it's just good for us to refocus and to rethink about who we are, who God's made us to be, why we are here. Uh, it's more than just gathering on Sunday um, and singing songs and doing all this kind of stuff. There's a lot more to it. Over the past couple of weeks, we've talked about just these, this idea around discipleship. What is a disciple? Uh, believe it or not, if you are bound to Jesus by grace through faith, you are a disciple, whether you've accepted that moniker or not, you are that. And there's things that we do as a result of that. If you weren't here, go back, uh, find those podcasts, and take a listen to those. Um, We're also discussing all of these in community groups each week. um, So it behooves you, if you're in a community group, to listen, to take notes, to ask questions. Uh, You'll be able to contribute much more effectively and efficiently, and and it's good. So today, kind of our mission statement is uh, as a church, we exist to make disciples who love God, love one another love the city. So we've talked about disciples today. We're going to talk about what would seemingly be a very basic tenet of loving God. Uh, We want to make disciples. That's our goal. But some of the characteristics that we want these disciples to display as people that are following Jesus, as a family of believers together, uh, is we want to be people that love God, love one another, love the city. And so today we're going to talk about that. Um, We're going to open up in Scripture. It's also going to be on the screen uh, to Mark chapter 12. Um, Mark, if you, you want to know the difference in the synoptic gospels, the synoptics are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is a little more theological. Matthew is the most Jewish of the Gospels, written to a very predominantly Jewish audience. Uh, Mark, like I've said before, is like the Michael Bay of the Gospels. Um, Most of the, you know, the explosions are there. There are no no explosions, but there's a lot of, like, miracles, miracles, if you want to pronounce it that way, which is wrong, but it sounds better. Um, And then Luke is going to be your most universal Gospel, written to all people, all places, all time, also the first uh, in order of when it was written. Uh, But in today's text, Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34, Just to kind of set it up, we find Jesus, um, he's effectively closing out a conversation that's been going on uh, for two or three years. Uh, From the time that Jesus entered the scene, um, the religious elite, uh, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, they had been trying to catch Jesus with questions because he appeared on the scene with more wisdom than he should have. Uh, He appeared on the scene with, like, authority that could not be granted through rabbinical school or anything like that. It could only be granted by God. And so all of the power they had accumulated since the Hasidim in, like, B.C. 70 or 70 B.C. was now kind of threatened. Because if Jesus was who he appeared to be, the high priest who was appointed by the Pharisees and the scribes and all that, uh, his power was going to be effectively nullified. And so they didn't like that. They didn't want that. And so they wanted to disprove Jesus any way they could. Ultimately, they would kill him. Um, But still, they've been, from the very beginning, uh, they've been trying to throw out these questions of just like, let's see how he answers. And if he answers wrong, we're going to kill him. That's what they kept doing. And the conversation that transpires today, basically, if we read the book of Matthew, it's going to say, after this, they ask him no more questions. You know, it was over. Uh, so leading up to this, he had made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He had, walked it. he had come in on the back of a donkey to fulfill prophecy so people would look. They did the Hosanna thing. It was, it was amazing. Um, he, had had, uh, he walked into the temple and began teaching. Uh, before that, he had done the lesson of the fig tree with the disciples so that they could see some things. Go back and read that. Really neat. Um, but he began to teach in the temple. And from the very beginning, the questions started, just like they had been going for the past two to three years. It started with, who gives you authority to come in here and teach like this? And then he asked them a question back, and they couldn't answer. He says, well, because you can't answer, I'm not going to answer you either, so go away. And um, Jesus wasn't as lippy as I am, don't get me wrong. But I mean, it was, he was dealing with the religious, and when he dealt with the religious, he was straightforward, he was blunt. Um, his, his authority was questioned. Uh, he began to teach in the temple, he did that. Uh, they asked about some questions about the resurrection, about marriage. They tried to trick him with kind of a a riddle. It wasn't a limerick, but it was a riddle, and it was about, you know, a guy that married. Anyway, long story, and he shut them down there because of the way that he answered. Um, At one point, they wanted to uh, talk to him about taxes. You know, it's very important to talk about taxes right now because, you know, it, a lot of people were paying their taxes or getting ready to pay their taxes yesterday, and some people cried. But anyway, he asked them about that. He shut them down there. He said, bring me a coin. Let me look at it. And Caesar was on the coin. He said, hail to Caesar, was Caesar's? Hail to God, what's God's? And so then they were like, mm, okay, we'll be quiet. Um, and then uh, every time he silenced them, and so there were some people that were watching. There were scribes. There were Pharisees, his disciples, other people. And then we find them in verse 28. It was after all of those things um, And it says, and one of the scribes, this is chapter 12, verse 28, says, one of the scribes came up uh, and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, he asked him something. And so, most of the time, when I've read this text, I'll be honest, like I've I've read it, I think I've probably read it from Matthew more than I have here, and Matthew being a predominantly Jewish gospel, um, I've read it from there, and I assumed that this scribe or this lawyer of God's law um, was doing the same thing that all the other scribes before him were doing. I had assumed that he was trying to catch Jesus, like he was trying to ask a question that Jesus couldn't answer, or he answered wrongly, and they had a right to kill him. Um, But man, after reading this and looking at it for the past couple of weeks, my mind's my mind's changed a little bit. We'll get to that in a minute. But either way, this scribe, who was kind of a, a bystander or onlooker, he had heard the way that Jesus had answered questions like well, not just you know not just good, but like right, and and he says that he walks up and he has a question. He has a question. And before I even tell you what the question is and what the answer is, um, I have to tell you that this is, this is one of these texts in which if we read it on the surface, um, we may get close. But what we really have to do is we have to kind of be students of what was said before and why it was said, to whom it was said, and, and all of those things to fully grasp what is going on here. Um, and we're going to look back at Deuteronomy a little bit to the Shema, um, which we'll, we'll talk about. Um, but it's just one of those places where we need to do a little bit of work, and we're going to do that together this morning. So let's pray, and then we're going to jump in. God, we love you. Um, We thank you for time to sit. Um, A lot like Mary, she chose just to sit at Jesus' feet, and he commended her, um, and he said this is where she needs to be. God, today, I thank you for the fact that we can gather, that we can worship, we can do it together, Um, and, Father, we can hear from your word. Thank you for the truth of it. Thank you for the validity of it the authenticity of it, and God, the trustworthiness of it. I pray that we would hear your commandment this morning, and we would see it as an imperative and not as an option. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So the scribe, he came up, verse 28, he heard them disputing, heard that Jesus answered well, and it said, and he asked him, asked Jesus, he said, which commandment is the most important of all? Now granted, this was coming from a guy that his job was to litigate the commandments. Like, that was his job. He was a lawyer. He wasn't a lawyer with their, you know, their extrapolated judicial system. Their judicial system was the law of Scripture. It was the, the law of Moses that was passed down, starting with the Ten Commandments, grew out of that. He litigated through that. Like, that was his job. And so his job was the commandments, to know them well. And so he says, Teacher, capital T, which would have been rabbi or Rabboni, teacher slash master, teacher with authority. He says, which commandment? Uh, is the most important of all. And Jesus answered. He said, The most important is Shema Yisrael. That would have been the Hebrew. Shema Yisrael. Here it would be translated, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, or the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these or this. Now what Jesus did in just a uh, man in just a flash and we would miss it if we didn't do a little homework is he immediately went back to where the law began. He immediately took him back. This guy, this was his job. His job was to litigate the law, the law of Moses, the law that God had passed down to him. And to answer the question, Jesus immediately went back to when the law was given in Deuteronomy. This would have been Deuteronomy 6. In the chapter before, we see that the Ten Commandments were passed down. You know, we we know the Ten Commandments. Hopefully we know the Ten Commandments. They were passed down. But right after that, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we see um, that Moses takes a minute to give them a little bit more. After telling them, you shall have no other gods before me. After telling them, you shall not make for yourself an idol. After telling them, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. After telling them, you shall observe the Sabbath. uh, Honor your father and mother. You shouldn't murder. You shouldn't commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. All of these things. Right after that, Moses takes a moment and he says this. He says, but now the greatest is the commandment. The statutes of the rules in the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it. That you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son, and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. So hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them. And then he goes down to that important, the most important commandment. And this is what it is in verse 4. Shema Yisrael. Hear, O Israel, hear, O people. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as fontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. He says, Shema Yisrael, the Lord your God is one. Love him with everything. And he says, not just, not just love God with everything, but write this in many places that you'll see it. Teach it to your children when you're walking to school. Teach it to your children when you're eating dinner. Teach it to your children when you're putting them down at night. This is of utmost importance, utmost priority. Here is the greatest commandment. Love God with everything with everything and in a flash this scribe was immediately transported back to law school as it was maybe an offshoot of rabbinical school and he remembered man these are the words that moses gave to the people of israel at the time of the law and at the time of the law moses said this is the most important thing shema yisrael hear o israel the lord god he's only one there's just one of them he's it Love him with everything, the totality of your being. And then he goes on a little bit further. He says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength, depending on, we'll get to why there's three and then possibly four, And he says, the second is this, or the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other greater commandment than these. Matthew, when he's talking about this, uh, in Matthew chapter 12, uh, Jesus had a couple other words here that Mark didn't record, but in the totality of the story, he also says, all of the commandments, they rest on just these right here. And basically, if you just do these two, if you just do these two, everything else, Will take care of itself. The first four commandments are about our horizontal relationship of the ten, talking about you shall have no other gods, you shall not make any idols, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain, you shall keep the Sabbath holy. Guess what? If we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all our mind, all our soul, all our might, we do all of that, we're gonna do those four. And if we love our neighbor as ourselves, we're not gonna kill them, believe it or not, because we don't wanna kill ourselves. Uh, We're not going to lie to them. We're not going to steal from them. We're not going to bear false witness. We're not going to want what they want. We're going to be happy that they have it. He said, On these, all of the law hangs. You do these, you'll be fine. And so when the scribe said to him, verse 32, he said, You are right, teacher, capital T, raboni, teacher slash master with authority. Um, You have truly said that he is one and there's no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God or you are so close. You're so close. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Man, this scribe, he would have been surrounded uh, by pomp and circumstance, so to speak. He would have been surrounded by ceremony. He would have been surrounded by public displays of religious religion. He would have been surrounded by a sacrificial system that would have been so hard to keep that no one could. He would have been surrounded by people who were elevated to a status um, because they kept the law in public but in private didn't really care. And for this guy to say... I agree with you, Jesus. You've you've said it right. you're, You're on the money. There is just one God, and I need to love him with all that I have and my neighbor as myself. It was amazing. It was amazing for this guy, of all people, to say, Jesus, I agree with you so I really think, like, before we even get into the meat of it, I I think being confronted with what I understood about this passage and this text, I think this scribe was one of the people that was being called out from the religious. His eyes were opened. He was seeing grace for the very first time. So what does it mean? What does it mean? First, I want to point this out. He asked him, he said, not what is the most important recommendation. He said, No, what's the most important commandment? So I want to I want to separate those two things before we jump in any further. This is not a good idea. This is not a suggestion. No, he's asking Jesus, hey, hey, Jesus, what is the most important thing that we as believers in God have been told to do? No negotiation. No wiggle room, no interpretation. What have we been told to do? An imperative statement that we must, 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 that's a four-letter word that means we have to, must do. And so he gives a commandment. We don't like commandments. We fight commandments. We fight like absolutes and concrete being told what to do. But here's the reality. If we have been grafted in, by the very Spirit of God and the grace of God, by grace through faith, then there are things that we must do. If you've been told that you have been brought into a family, that God is the head, Jesus is the Savior, the Spirit is the indweller and the teacher, and that you've been brought into a life in which there are a ton of options, you've been told wrong. I've been told wrong. No, Jesus says you are being brought into a life by grace through faith, and now, get this, because you trust me, because you love me, you're going to submit control, and you're going to allow me to tell you what to do. Not popular, not fun, but it's good, and God has our best interest at heart. In Romans, he tells us that he's working out all things for the good of those who are called according to his purpose. We have to trust his good over our desires very often. But he says in this place, what is the commandment? Here it is. He says the commandment, Shema Yisrael, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Know this before I tell you what to do. He says, love the Lord your God, and in Mark... I'm just going to reread it. He says, uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. Mark lists four. Mark's going to list your mind, your soul, your heart, and your strength or your might. Matthew's going to list three. He's going to say heart, uh, mind, soul, mind, strength. Okay. Hebrews is going to do that. But here's the thing. We have to be able to think uh, in a Hebrew fashion to a degree, but also a Hebrew fashion who's being spoken to a Greek audience. Okay, so in the Hebrew world, what they would have thought of as the heart would have been the center of intellect and emotion, center of intellect and emotion. They thought with their heart, they felt with their heart, they acted on behalf of their heart. This was, this was everything. A Greek thinker, on the other hand, a Greek thinker would have divided it to a degree They would have divided it to a mind and a heart. A mind is the source of our intellect. The heart is the source of emotion, kind of like us. We get our thought process and our philosophy on that from the Greek mindset. And so here in Mark, when he's speaking or when he's recording the words of Jesus, he remembers that Jesus was speaking to a Jewish and Greek audience, so he records it. So either way, those two are almost synonymous. They're the same. So he lists heart and mind. We've got that. He lists soul, and then he lists strength or might. My temptation most of the time is to do this, is to just see the fact that all is used four times. You should love the Lord your God with, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your heart, and with all your strength. And that's great. We have to start there and understand that this is talking about an all-inclusive idea. We could sum this up quite easily and just say this. Here is the commandment. Love the Lord your God with everything you have. Everything from the bald spot on the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. Maybe you don't have a bald spot, but if you do, from there where you've got a bunch of hair to the bottom of your feet where hopefully you don't have any, okay, because that'd, that'd be weird. But either way, everything in between. Love your God with all of that. But he does list these three or four areas, and if we want to be authentic and, and intentional about the way that we look at Scripture, I think we need to look at, at all three. So I want to do that really quickly. Um, what do we do? The heart, the mind idea. Love the Lord your God with your heart, your mind. That seat of emotion, that seat of our intellect. Simply this is is the idea that uh, we need to love God by getting to know Him. As as, As simple as that. Maybe not easy, but we need to love God with what we know about Him. And the way that we do that is we get to know Him. Like, I'll be honest, like, we're celebrating my wife's birthday today, and I can tell you, um, I'm blessed because I can say the more that I get to know my wife, the more I love my wife. The more I know about her, the more I love her, and the way that I get to know her is I watch her and what she does, and I listen to her and the things that she says. I get to know my wife that way. Same thing with us and God. Like we get to we get to watch what God has done, read what God has done. We get to see the through the annals of history written here what he has done, how he's responded, the story that he has made happen through his actions that come from his heart. We get to know him by observing, but then we get to know him by hearing him. We hear him through the words of the prophets in the Old Testament. We hear him bodily through Jesus in the New Testament. Jesus says, when you have seen me, you have seen the Father. By, uh, by extension, when we have heard him, we have heard the Father. If we want to know God, Scripture is our primary modus operatus, period. It is the primary place that we get to observe the actions of God. We get to hear the words of God. If we want to love him with our heart and mind, we have to know him. And we have to endeavor to know him through scripture. And that means there's, there's effort on our part. We figure out what works for us. It's either through reading, through listening, or whatever it may be, through Braille. I don't care. Either way, we have to get to know God through scripture. If we're waiting on someone to spoon feed us, we can do that as a baby for a little while, but that cannot be the breadth of our life. We cannot allow someone to spoon feed us the truth about God for our entire life. We talked about it last week. That would be an infant. We cannot be perpetual infants. We must grow, or else our growth will be stunted if we're not seeking food and, 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 man, just sustenance ourselves. We have to dig in ourselves. I know it's daunting. And so here's the other ways that help that. We pursue God in Scripture. We pursue God like this. We gather together to hear from God's word together so that we can learn together, so that we can grow together, so that we can know Him better together. By the way, we say it a lot God came to redeem a people, not a person, so we need to function as a people together. Sundays, this is a special time. Like, man, it's taken me a long time to get to the place to where I acknowledge that Sundays are different. They are not our identity, but man, they, they don't define us, but yes, they do refine us. They're important. We make them a priority because God intends for us to learn together. So we come, we gather, we sit, we, we sing, we listen, we learn. And then, here's the third thing. Not after just seeking God in his scripture by ourselves and, and alone, just kind of in the stillness and the quietness of our own lives. We, we do it together here, we gather together. But man, we surround ourselves with people that are doing the same thing. Because not only are we going to learn directly from Scripture, not only are we going to learn from the teaching of Scripture, but we're going to learn vast amounts through one another. We're going to talk about one another next week, but we're going to learn vast amounts through one another. Because if they are doing the same thing you are, if they're digging in Scripture the best that they can, if they're seeking to hear from God through His Scripture the way that the Spirit works through us in that, if they're gathering like we're doing here, listening to the same thing, trying to chew on this and process through that, they're going to have thoughts, you're going to have thoughts, you get to share those thoughts. Maybe you'll be corrected, maybe you get to correct, but either way, we're better together Surround yourself with people who are pursuing the same thing. God. It doesn't mean that you don't have friends that are lost. You absolutely must have those if we're being missional and thinking about bringing more people into the saving faith of Jesus, not by our work, but by His, but yes, by our responsibility, but surround ourselves in the intimate relationships with other people who are pursuing God, who are hearing truth like you, and let them share, and you share. We must pursue God through learning. Stephen, I love that you said, think well this morning. We have to think well about God. Man, I had a professor that said it every day in class, and it drove me crazy. But, man, it's like a tattoo on my brain. I have to learn to think well about God. And I do that by pursuing him with my mind and allowing it to infect my heart, our heart, our mind. Romans 12, 1 and 2, it tells us that we need to be uh, transformed by the renewing of our minds, so that we can know what the good and acceptable will of God is. You know how we do that? We just, man, number one, we pray, God, change me through your word, through your spirit, and let me know you more. And there is this supernatural exchange. The more we know God, the more we will love him. We can't figure it out. We can't rationalize it. We can't, man, we can't put numeric modifiers on it, but it's just true. The more we see, the more we love We have to work to see. The second thing, he says, love your God with all your heart, all your mind, but he says, love your God with all your soul. Again, we kind of have to think in the Hebrew fashion. If we just think of soul, we think about the eternal part of our being, and that's great. We need to love God with the eternal part of our being. But when a Hebrew would hear soul, what they would hear is the sum of all your parts. The sum of all your parts. And the sum of all of your parts would be the output of everything that you have, right? We're teaching our kids about addition and subtraction right now. The word sum, when you add things together, this is the outcome. This is the sum. A Hebrew idea of soul, uh, which we need to understand here, would be the output of all of our parts. He said, love your God with all your heart, your mind. Pursue him, think about him, know him. But not only that, the output of all your parts, what you do, love God with those things. Love God in the way that you love people. Love God in the way that you respond to adversity. Love God in the way that you serve people. Love God in the way that we love the church. Love God in the things that we do. The way that we're employees. The way that we're fathers. The way that we're husbands. We're wives. We're mothers. We're boyfriends. Girlfriends. Love God in the things that we do. If we're loving God in the things that we do, we're being faithful and diligent to keep His commandments, to keep His statutes, and we're trying to live a life that honors and pleases God. It's just the truth. It doesn't mean that it's open to interpretation because it's not. God already put it out there. He's already given us the words that we need to live a life that echoes that God is good, and so we must endeavor to live that life. Love God with the sum of your parts, the output of all that you have. How we think, how we love, it must work its its way out. And he says, don't just love me with some of it. He says, love me with all that you do, even how you do your taxes. (laughs) Love me with all that you do. Man, that all word. Woo. You know what it means in Greek? All. (laughs) Everything. He says, love me with all of it. And he continues. He says, so love me with all that you do, the sum of your parts, the way you love people. And I think even we, we take it a step further and we say, okay, how did Jesus do it? The same way that we asked about discipleship last week, how do we make disciples? Well, Jesus did that, and he was the best at it, so let's do it like he did. And then we ask, well, how did Jesus live? I think that's the best prototype for how we love with all the sum of our parts. We do our best to do it like Jesus. Easy enough, right? <laughs> well, no, it's simple but maybe not easy. It would be like someone saying, hey, I've got one job for you to do. I'm going to give you a bicycle, and you're going to bike up to the top of Mount Mitchell. That's all. Pretty simple, right? Yeah, simple. Easy? Nope. Never done it. Never gonna, because I know I would die, but I've got a client, you know, a good, a, a good buddy of mine. I still keep a couple PT clients and getting him ready right now to do Attack on Mount Mitchell. Not something I ever want to do. Super simple. Get on a bike, pedal, 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 all the way up, but guess what? Hard, hard, No desire in me to do that. But anyway, simple, but at times difficult. And then he says, Love me with all of your strength or all of your might. Okay, Western thought. Love me with all of your strength, all of your might, all of just your er. Love me with that. Here's the problem, though. Man, 2 Corinthians 12 reminds us that, that our strength in the face of God is really not that much. As a matter of fact, It takes it a step further, and it says that when we're at our best is when we're at our weakest. Why? Because we depend on God all the more, and that's the only strength we really need. That's the only strength we really need. So it's not that. It's not love the Lord your God with all of your raw power. So this, again, going back to our Hebrews mindset, the way that we have to think if soul is the sum of all of our parts, here's where it gets offensive. Might and strength. Uh, In Hebrew, it would have been like this translation of like very or even very, very, which wouldn't make a whole lot of sense to us, but the point that they were trying to get at. Love God with the sum of all you have. Small difference. Love God with the sum of all your parts, all that you are. Love God with that, just that, no big deal. Now it's love God with all that you have, all your resources. The sum of your resources. Guess what falls under here? Your time, your talents, your money, your house, your car, your family, your extended family, as crazy as they are. Love God with all of that. That's when it gets hard. Because the American dream says work, 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 work to get yours. God says, I will bless you beyond what you can imagine, not so that you can be healthy, wealthy, and famous, but so that you can take what I've given you and use it as a tool to love me more. <sighs> I mean, God, you, you want me to trust you with my money? And trust you with my house? My cars? My kids? Yep. That's what all means. All of it. And you know what all of these take? It takes me holding it instead of like this, like this. Being open handed with all the blessings that God's given, every bit of it. And we have to admit that none of it's ours. That all the stuff that we've worked so hard for, yeah, it doesn't even belong to me because God said, no, 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 it's mine in the first place. I'm going to let you hold on to it so that you can use it because you love me for my glory. And gosh, again, bicycle, Mount Mitchell, simple, hard. But it's true. Jesus just says, hey, the, the most important commandment, just love me with everything. Just everything. Here's the question. What needs to happen in our lives to where we can say, God, everything? What needs to happen? How much self do we need to abandon? How much confession of sin and pride do we need to do how much work does God through his spirit and through his word need to do in us for us just to say, God, everything? All my hopes, all my dreams, all my ambitions, all my money, all my, all my homes, if you have plural. All of me. Well, here's one answer. It, it starts with a supreme trust that God is out for the best. It really does. It starts with a supreme trust that God wants the ultimate best. And I, I'm gonna go ahead and give away the ending. Here's the ultimate best that many will come. That many will come, they will call on the name of Jesus so that they too may be saved. That's the ultimate best. See, all of these commandments that God gives, they're not just arbitrary and for no reason. No, He wants us to to give all, to live with all, to let Him have all, to love with all so that we can be fulfilled with His purpose and so that more may know. So that more may have an opportunity to respond by grace through faith. So that more may have a chance supernaturally to experience the calling, the working, and the majesty of God. It's not just to get you to not want your stuff. There's a much bigger picture. So what must God do in me and in you for us to say all, everything? I don't know the answer for you. I, I don't. I think the answer for me, just in full transparency, is I have to remind myself every day through God's word and through God's truth that none of this is mine My glory really doesn't matter. But it's all his and his glory does. If I start there, I end up in a pretty good place. Do I deviate? Yep. Do I sin? I do. Repent and confess and do it again. God, not mine. All yours. Your glory, not mine. I would challenge you this week. Spend time in that number one space of just, just reading. If you don't know where to start, man, start in John. Start in John chapter one. Read it. Read a chapter a day. If you need help, text your community group leader. If you're not in a community group, find one. If you don't have one and you want one, man, talk to Stephen. He'll guide you. Start. Start. And before you do, say, hey, God, uh, with reverence and with awe, what do I need to do? What do you need to do in me so that I can just say, okay, everything, everything. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that sometimes your word, there's no nonsense, there's no no interpretation needed, but it's just there, and it tells us what we need to do, what we must do. God, I pray you would work in us illuminate the areas in our life that we're holding on to so tightly that we just can't open our hands and give them to you God I pray that you would supernaturally infect us to the point to where we can and we can just say okay all and maybe it's just bit by bit you chip away and we say more more until we get to all but God you work in us it's not by our strength it is by yours Father you move you work Thank you for your word. Thank you that we get to worship today and it's in your son's name we pray.